We all like different angles. All right, welcome to the latest installment of the Run to Daylight podcast. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. And today we have a very special guest, Justin Herzig, or is it Herzog? It's Herzig. It's Herzig. It's definitely Whitey. So uh, Justin was the big winner of the Underdog Fantasy uh, tournament last year, and we are going to talk some best ball for about 30 minutes. And then what we're going to do is we're going to do a live draft on Underdog. We'll give you guys a little bit of notice. Um, I've opened up the comments. Henry Mudo is there. And of course, he's saying that I was two minutes late. Yes. Um, This podcast is brought to you by the FFPC, our friends over at the FFPC. Uh, We will talk some FFPC best ball as well during this uh, session as the FFPC has broken out their first ever best ball tournament with a half a million up top, $125 tournament, only 5% rake if you take credits. Uh, Justin was nice enough to tell me that works out to about 7% rake overall. Um, And I've been doing a lot of best ball with the FFPC, so I am going to dig in there. Uh, DraftKings has also opened up, and of course, um, underdog, we are going to talk to a lot today. Um, go to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. Check out the new draft. Um, I forget what they call it, but there is a, a new way that you can set it and forget it. Um, and that's also exciting. Justin, welcome to the show. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, been drafting against you for the past few years, and uh, it's great to kind of you know, finally jump on the show and uh, kind of talk some best ball as the really off season and the best ball season really starts kicking off. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it seems like best ball is a little slower this year because everyone was caught up in NBA top shot <laughs> around the time that uh, best ball got started. But um, let's start with, I think, the question everyone is going to want to know. 200K, how, if anything, has it changed your life and also your bankroll and how you're willing to spend money on fantasy sports? Yeah, no, it uh, last year was a very, very fortunate year for me in all of DFS. Uh, I think three different weekends I ended up hitting six-figure scores. And so, you know, without a doubt, that is a, a year that I will forever look back on as just being kind of, uh, you know, the, the big year, the pinnacle. Uh, going forward, I wouldn't say from a process-wise, it's actually changed much um, from an actual day-to-day. Um, you know, it's more of just, uh, I think the biggest one is probably joining Establish the Run. And uh, it was someone who I've been talking to for a while and good friends with a lot of the guys over there. And uh, Which I, really, I should have mentioned when <laughs> I, when I introed you. Uh, no, no Justin Her- at Justin Herzig of Establish the Run. There you go. Um, and no, I'd, uh, I'd be lying if I didn't admit that, uh, you know, a lot of the reason why I was brought over there is because of the fortunate outcome with the underdog. And uh, obviously from a process wise, uh, there's just a lot of great discussion and things that we think that we can kind of teach and educate the community. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been in the DFS for the past probably four or five years, been doing best ball pretty seriously for the past three uh, I guess my claim to shame or claim to fame, depending on how we want to put it, is two years ago I did 30,000 best ball drafts in one summer. Um, and so I've been, been doing this for a while, and uh, I kind of this was the first year that I decided, hey, uh, I think there's an opportunity to help grow the game, grow, help grow the game of best ball. And uh, if I can kind of help from an education strategy aspect and help people kind of uh, you know, devise their own methods going forward, uh, I think it's better for everyone. 
Yeah, it, it's so it's so funny because a couple years ago I won about twenty grand playing DFS. You know, I play about eight hundred a Sunday, and I thought a lot of what I had learned with best ball would translate over to DFS, and it did. Uh, this year I had five, six, seven sweats, just like my big year, but instead of coming in third, fourth, fifth place. Um, you know, and, and I, I had a 16th in the millimaker that year. This year, my millimaker was 36. And it's a big difference in profit. And all my, t- like five, six weeks, five out of six weeks, I was like right there with one of my 100 lineups in some tournament. But I didn't get higher than seventh. And a couple, and, and, you know, and it's it's so top heavy, Justin, you know, uh, you know, people don't, you know, it's interesting for me to hear you say that you got lucky and, you know, you didn't get lucky and because you put your, you know, we put ourselves in the position to win, but there is kind of, it, it does seem to come down to the two or three plays at the end that can either win you a lot of money or win you enough money so that you refill your bankroll. Right, without a doubt. And uh, yeah, when I say that I was, you know, very fortunate that obviously luck's involved, I agree with you. A lot of it is the process and putting yourself in the right place so that one things go right, you can kind of catch the right side of variance. Um, but without a doubt, like when you think back to what happened in week 16 with the underdog championship, uh, there were a lot of teams on Monday night in that Bills Patriots game that had Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and that stack. And uh, I believe Stephon Diggs went for about 180 yards, three touchdowns. Josh Allen maybe had four in total, threw for like 300 and some yards. It was an absolute bombshell of a you know game between the two. And I think they put up some, something like 70-plus fantasy points. And uh, it wasn't until the final drive of the game where they're up 20-plus points with a couple minutes left in the game. And I think it was if Stephon Diggs had maybe, maybe another 15-yard catch or something, I would have been passed. Uh, but it wasn't until that final drive that they took Josh Allen out. They took Stephon Diggs out. Cole Beasley actually that. still yeah, Cole Beasley actually still played another play, and that could have caught me if he would have had another like thirty yards and a catch. But he got hurt in the next place, and they're like, oh, okay, now we should rest everyone. But like the ball flipped, like such minute things, and like I don't want to say like a, people are very you know. What's happened past that, you know, being the champion, seeing my lineup being uh, a lot of people kind of taking this hyper fragile build, um, a flip of the football, very different could have been a difference for me, obviously, of $100,000, $150,000. And maybe we're thinking about this draft season very differently. But the truth is the process and the strategy hasn't changed. So for people that are listening to this, don't take you know my word for anything I'm saying because I won that tournament because that was just at the end of the day it came down to one game. It's more of if you agree with the strategy and the articles and the discussion that we're having and you that resonates with you and you trust the data-backed approach, then that's what you should be following going forward. Well, and, and that's the thing. It's, um, you know, there's always this discussion of data versus, you know, having a feel for things, right? And, and really, it's both, right? Last year, I got really good, uh, I feel, at, at using an optimizer. I felt like, as good as I had been a couple years ago when taking down that money, using an optimizer and getting good at rules was a way for me to continue to uh, uh, be good going forward um, and, and making really interesting, you know, it's about making good lineups. Um, so uh, you didn't have Josh Allen on your winning team. Who was on your team? 
Yeah, so the main player, I mean, I can go through the whole team, but in general, it was the Alvin Kamara was the one that really set me apart because uh, that was the Christmas game. Alvin Kamara put up, I believe it was six touchdowns, would have had seven if Taysom Hill didn't steal his. Um, and that was the only person in the entire championship field that had Alvin Kamara. Now, why was that? Well, some of it was because Alvin Kamara had some mediocre playoffs. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. Some of it also was Derrick Henry as on a ton of the teams. And with Derrick Henry, you're not going to draft Kamara and Derrick Henry. And same with Dalvin Cook. You had a lot of those in the playoffs. So a lot of it came down to just I was fortunate that I had some form of um, uh, a contrarian, even though it's hard, you know, it's hard to say Alvin Kamara is contrarian, but that's what it ended up in there. Uh, the rest of the team is I went with a couple mini stacks. I had Matt Ryan to go with Calvin Ridley. I had um, Tom Brady to go with Rob Gronkowski. Um, and then I also went for a week 16 game stack because I'm a believer that especially with these tournaments, that week 16, there's a ton of value in finishing up top. Uh, the difference between something like 10th and going to be first this year is going to be $900 plus thousand dollars. Uh, and so, you know, in these strategies, figuring out how can we kind of optimize for week 16? Yes, some people are like, okay, this is a good opponent in week 16, or maybe they have a good playoff schedule because those defenses are bad or the offenses are good, so it'll be a shutout. That's really difficult to predict year over year. But what I can predict is that if there are two teams that we think are going to have a shootout or something, at the least we know that the schedule's not going to change. Heaven forbid with the COVID stuff, but schedules don't change. So what I did is I said, okay, I want to go for two teams that I know are playing against each other. And I believe memory serves me right. That was Falcons and Chiefs. And so I built myself a little game stack saying I got Matt Ryan. I got Calvin Ridley. I got Travis Kelsey. If that game becomes a blowout, I've got a lot of the kind of dynamics there that could really push me into that first place. And it uh, turns out that game actually wasn't that much of a blowout, but it did enough for me. Uh, Kelsey's, you know, obviously counted. Gronk had his two touchdowns. Uh, the whole week just kind of came together. Um, but again, I care far more about the process than the actual one-week result. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I think that's interesting. And I, I, uh, I, I honestly didn't do enough of that last year. You know, I would look at the whole playoff schedule and, you know, I think there's and we're going to get into this a little bit because there are some differences in the FFPZ tournament. Um, but it's funny because Kamara is what got that team to first place and then him having a couple off weeks and you still finding a way to get that team into the final made it so that the guy who had one of the highest win rates on the year was only on one of 12 teams. So, you, you, you know, there's there's so much you can figure out, but and that's why I go back to rules. What are rules in DFS? It's basically saying, you know, if I'm going to have uh, a chief, I want to bring it back. If I'm going to have a Mahomes stack, I want to bring it back with a Falcon. You know, and that's, if I understand you correctly, that's basically what you, one of the key things you built into these teams was bringing back week 16 players from other guys that you had on the team. Yep, exactly. And uh, so for this year, I, I start that. looking at, and obviously I want to make sure that it's strong game environments as well. Like if I look at the schedule and stuff and you see a game Jaguars at Patriots, like I just, you know, not caring too much about those teams. I'm not going to get many of those guys. But if I looked at that Chiefs Bengals, I think that's an interesting way to build a stack without having to pay for the Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Killer, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. You could still end up taking a Tyreek or a Kelsey early on because that's good value. Not have to overpay for a Mahomes, 
but maybe you end up later on getting that kind of burrow with another one or two of his pass catchers. And now you're building yourself. I think especially if you get Kelsey, that's beautiful because you're getting your tight end spot. You got burrow with maybe two of his pass catchers and now you're building for that game stack. So if that chiefs at Bengals game in week 17 turns into a blowout and you somehow make it to that finals, you're set up pretty nicely. And yes, a lot of things have to happen along the way for you to get there. But when you're trying to turn $25 into a million dollars, you got to try hard. You got to take some chances and uh, you hope for the best. But it's correlations. And again, back to DFS, it's, it's, it's about making correlations that can make a difference and putting them in your lineup and then making enough lineups to give yourself a chance for um, variation to hit. And that's, that's basically what you did. And I haven't heard it like that. And I, I love it. I, I, you know, Every once in a while when I'm talking, you know, I tell people that I do this podcast to be better. You know, it's like interviewing you, but really it's part of my own process to talk to people like you because I, I'm 58 years old, but I want to be better tomorrow than I was yesterday. And, you know, that was one that when you just said that, that I was like, geez, that's, that's dynamite. So um, I do want to talk that you're a big proponent of two quarterback, two tight end, and spending a lot of your assets on the other positions, specifically wide receiver, um, were there specific numbers from your research? You were talking about numbers. Uh, what numbers from your research kind of led you to that strategy? Yeah, so we've seen these hyper-fragile builds um, have some of the highest win rates, even though you know historically they haven't been used that often. Um, but to, you know, from a data wise, and, uh, so my colleague is obviously on Michael Leone, uh, he's actually published some data on this around the win rates for teams, especially with the underdog format, which is the 18, um, 18 draft spots, uh, taking those four running backs and then going heavy elsewhere. And, uh, so start off, I don't have the numbers for you, but trust me, the data backs it up. Okay. Now let's figure out intuitively, why does it back it up? Well, if I'm doing a redraft league, you know, me, 11 buds, uh, I actually like wide receivers a lot. I want to draft wide receiver early, and that's where zero RB comes from because you can figure out the waiver wire, get your running backs later. But the wide receivers, finding a guy like Devontae Adams or even someone maybe a tier down like a Hopkins, that week in and week out is getting you eight, nine, 10 targets, is putting up those yards. Like that's really valuable for a redraft league and someone that you need to start. Now, in best ball, it's not as valuable. Because I can make up with that because the wide receiver position is so volatile. If I just have a ton of wide receivers, I can find and say, hey, these guys aren't going to often get their big games. But, you know, it's a lot of guys that are getting five for 50, six for 60 on a weekly basis. But you throw in that touchdown and you throw in that one big play and things all change here. And so because the wide receiver is one of the most volatile positions, it allows me to say, okay, I'm going to not overspend on the guys at the top of the draft for wide receiver. And instead, I'm going to go with a level of depth and use my depth to make up for that lack of quality. Quantity makes up for quality. What do I do with the rest of my positions? Okay, well, running back, I'm only drafting four. So not every time, but we're saying if I'm doing this for hyperfragile build and I'm only drafting four, I know that those running backs need to carry my team for the whole year. And so what I'm normally doing is in the first three rounds, I usually have two running backs. And then I grab another two probably in the next kind of four to six rounds where there's either value, complementary, et cetera. Now, yes, that leaves me as a risky position if one of those top two running backs I drafted either gets hurt or completely underperforms. But the truth is, even if I drafted more running backs, even if I change my style, 
if you end up losing your first round draft pick or one of your first, like, you know, uh, first two or three round running backs fails, your team probably wasn't going to do that well anyways. So all I'm doing is saying that, hey, I'm probably avoiding that middle position and I'm trying to either finish the top or say, if you know, if something happens, let it burn. I don't care. Third place is the same thing. Same thing as last in these tournaments. So I grabbed my four running backs. I've got a wealth of wide receivers. And now we got to figure out that quarterback tight end position. So as you said, primarily, I'd love to get two QBs, two tight ends. Um, usually what ends up happening is if one of those two positions is weak, I'll add a third, primarily more in the tight end. Um, but that allows me that, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, uh, I'll just go three quarterbacks because I'll get value. And between the three of them, someone's going to be able to put up like a legitimate score each week. Yes, that's probably true. Uh, but what are you missing out here? Okay, well, two things. One, you're missing out on weekly upside. If you're not grabbing one of these running backs that either is a absolute performer, uh, high end of the passing range, and Rodgers, Brady over the you know past couple of years, what we've seen, we can throw in some of the guys, um, maybe like a Matt Ryan. I'm not a fan, but like those are the only guys that really have uh, you know that have that upside without having the floor of I mean, without having the rushing upside. Um, primarily, if you draft, draft those three late guys, you're missing that weekly upside that the kind of top 10, 12 QBs give you. Uh, second thing is you're also taking up a draft spot that I want to use for one of my late wide receivers. So not only are you limiting your upside, you're also wasting a position that I'd rather be using elsewhere for that wide receiver. So it kind of becomes a double whammy if you take that kind of late three QB approach. And thus I'm saying, hey, I'm willing to go with two QBs that are usually in the kind of top 14, top 15 area, guys who have rushing upside, I'm willing to take chances on these rookies and say, you know what, if they have that great year, they can provide with the weekly upside, it's going to make my team great. If not, I'm okay with it because, again, we can't be kind of too cautious. We can't be too risk-averse in these. We've got to take chances when our goal is for that upside. Yeah, I mean, it does go against kind of where my head's been at this year. Um my head has been, you know, kind of roto busy. Um, you know, wide receivers outscore running backs throughout the whole draft. So my, what I try and do, and, and it does lead me to take early running backs in the first and second round, uh, sometimes the third round if a guy I like drops. Uh, and the reason is I want to draft my running backs when they're as close to wide receiver points as possible. And, and in general, because of positional scarcity, you know, there's a much bigger taper off at running back than there is at wide receiver. Uh, that being said, I, I I do tend to be balanced as well. So are you saying you don't draft wide receivers in the first and second round, uh, third round too often? Rarely am I taking a wide receiver in the first two rounds, third round maybe. In the first round, um I think almost every one of my drafts is either a running back or Travis Kelsey. Uh, in the second round, uh, same thing. I'm almost always getting one of those second running backs or one of those elite other tight ends. Um, for me, it's just not worth it for me to kind of position myself with a top elite you know, wide receiver when I'd rather take the structure of saying, hey, I'm just going to be drafting you know, nine wide receivers. Because I know that I can make up for that lack of an elite wide receiver by having a bunch of depth, but it's much more difficult to make up for that lack of an elite running back or lack of a second elite running back with running back depth. Because that's what we see year over year 
is that, yes, occasionally your running back will get those starts and actually turn into like a starter and produce, but more likely than not, a backup running back isn't going to help you. But that second string, third string wide receiver on the actual team, they're still on the field. They're still getting snaps. Mm -hmm. They're still getting targets. They still have the opportunity to blow up. And so when I think about which of these two guys between Stefan Diggs and Austin Eckler, am I more able to recreate or repro- you know, um, recreate or make up for their um, you know, output? It's a lot easier to do that at wide receiver than find the running back that you hopefully hit on and hope that he breaks out. Yeah. I, it, you know, I, I hadn't, it, it isn't the way that I've played, but it certainly makes a lot of sense. Um, so he, here's another question, though. You know, it's one of the old things. I know Dink works for you guys over at ETR, and I know he's talked a lot about the struggle of being a good player and being a good analyst and giving away your good stuff. As more people go to any strategy um, and it becomes more popular, it can also tip the scale on what will end up being optimal in the present. Uh, Are there any concerns for 2020 where you wonder that, you know, if everyone's doing four running, you know, if if, if a significant part of the market and sharp guys switch over to your strategy, is there any concerns on your part that it won't be as as uh, as good as it was for you last year. 100%. Uh, and we're starting to see uh, a lot and lot of hyperfragile builds this early in the season. Uh, now, I don't think this is going to be relevant in August because I think in August we're going to have so many new people coming into best ball that they won't be using this hyperfragile strategy as much. Just It's the people that are drafting right now are the ones who are watching these shows, the ones who are paying attention to what happened in the previous year, the ones who are reading the articles. Uh, so to your point, without a doubt, and let's take the extreme. Let's say that you're in a draft and uh, the other 11 teams are all going to go hyper fragile. That's 44 RBs. And then they're done. If you knew that you could get the 45th, 46th, 47th RBs in the 16th, 17th and 18th round, let's draft backwards. And what do you do? Well, to be honest, I'm not going to go zero RB because I still don't want to only have RBs 45 to 49 on my team. Like it's still not what I want to go for. Um, But maybe now I'm more willing to say like, okay, in that 17th round, I know there's going to be some solid running backs there. And maybe I build into my draft that a little. And so what I've actually been doing as my zigzag is I still want to get my first two running backs early on. And that, you know, kind of top three rounds, because I do feel that there still is an argument here and it's still logic. And, I'm not really giving anything up at this point because it doesn't matter how people are drafting changing changes. This is the same we saw last year. People are still drafting running backs predominantly in those first couple of rounds. You throw in some wide receivers and such. And I think people grabbing those elite wide receivers in my mind is a bit of a kind of flaw, uh, unless you know you're getting your stack and value, blah, blah. Uh, but so what am I doing? I've actually started going with formats where I'll end up with five running backs. And uh, why is that? Okay, well, I still get those two that I talked about. But now what I'm doing is I'm waiting a little later to grab my other three running backs because they're, you know, the difference in the top ones haven't changed. But what we are seeing is because people are only grabbing four or you know, they're grabbing fewer ones, that, neck, that last tier, instead of that going in the 10th to 12th round, as we saw last year, your guys like, you know, I, don't know, I guess Tariq Cohen is going in the 18th. You're seeing 
Jarek McKinnon going in the 18th. You're seeing all these guys that I think otherwise Mond- would probably Mondre. be drafted. Yeah, I like Mondre. Ex- exactly. And I think guys you that know, would be going. It's true. I, I've only done a few underdogs, but I'm, I'm surprised by how many running backs are sitting there in the 17th, 18th round. Yeah, um, and it's right different yeah, than the FFPC. What, what I, my main way of playing regular best ball this year, especially early, was to, to go one one good running back, right? First or second round, I'd grab a, I'd grab a stud, and then I would do six or it, you know it's twenty eight rounds in the FFPC, and I would I'd end up with seven running backs, and uh, because early before the draft, there's I felt like I had a lot more chances of, you know, like Gaskin was going in the eighth, ninth round. That was one of my targets. I said, well, you know, he might, they might draft someone and then that pick won't be very good. But if they don't draft someone, he'll be going in the fifth, sixth round and and that's good. So I felt like before the draft, uh, when we don't know where the rookies are going, there's a lot more chances. uh, There's a lot more undefined roles. Um, I, I haven't been doing it as much because I do feel like the first, second, and third round, you know, Dobbins is in the third, Miles Sanders is in the third. Um, I feel like there's some good running backs in the third round. Uh, I even started one draft with uh, three straight running backs, which I don't do very often. Um, any thought about the one running back and then taking more shots later? Yep. No, I definitely don't hate it at all, but it makes me want to think, okay, but what am I doing with that, those, that early round capital? Uh, let's say I get Christian McCaffrey with the first. Okay. I still want to kind of go with a hyper fragile build. I still don't want to devote a lot of those late running back slots to my running back position, because as we said, those are the ones that are least likely to contribute. Um, so I want to figure out, okay, but I know I'm not going to gra- draft another running back in the second or third because for whatever reason, maybe the guys I don't like or whatever. So I'm definitely grabbing tight end. I'm definitely grabbing Waller or Kittle if they're there because in this strategy, I still want to say what position am I willing to be okay being light at and making up for it with depth. And so that's probably wide receiver. And so that's where it's just difficult for me to say like, okay, how do I, I don't want to load up with wide receiver. I'd probably be okay, and I've done this before. I'll go Christian McCaffrey. I'll grab an elite wide receiver. I don't know who's there now. Ridley, Jefferson, someone like that, uh, and then that tight end. But now what I've set myself up for is saying, okay, I'm not grabbing another tight end until the end of the draft because I've already spent a lot of exposure to that. Uh, i am got my Christian McCaffrey. I'm likely not going to be drafting another running back for a little bit because we're about to hit that kind of that fourth, fifth turn is not a great spot. So now I'm going to get some really nice wide receivers and maybe, you know what? I should have actually looked for uh, someone early on that I could get a nice stack with. And that's a little challenging because maybe I'm okay with spending up on QB in this situation because I know that, Hey, I've got tight end locked up. I've got one elite wide receiver and I'm still going to get depth there. Let me make sure that my QB is also in a strong spot because last thing I want is to end the draft with two weak positions. And the way this draft is kind of working out is, QB's a risk, you know, if you don't take that elite one because you're you know, at one of the turns and stuff and you got to figure out how you play that. Uh, but overall, like, hey, it's always great to try different draft strategies. Uh, I haven't found ones that I feel great with when I'm drafting two wide receivers early on. And more often than not, I'm not even drafting one wide receiver in those top three rounds. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, 
it's uh, it's not where I've been at, but the one thing that I, I mean, historically, historically, that's the way you playing is the way I historically played, right? Get your running backs. And the reason is because, as you said, you know, there's always every year, of, you know, like uh, Aguilar is a guy that I've been coming around on. I, do I love the team? Do I love the you – no, know, but, you know, he's an explosive guy who's going to be on the field probably 70%, 80% of the snaps. He, he, he doesn't need that good of a quarterback to pay off a 16th, 17th round ADP. Every year there's guys like that. Um, so I get your point that the second and third wide receiver on every team these days is on the field uh, way more than a backup running back who literally needs an injury to give you points. So I, I do like it. I It just is a little different than the way I've been playing. And um, I will throw out there, what I'm talking about is primarily underdog. I think it does apply, but there's some slight tweaks for other formats as well. But underdog, you're talking half PPR, you're talking no bonuses, and you're talking 18-man rosters. When we move over to DraftKings and we move that to 20-man rosters, we move it to DraftKings-style PPR plus the bonuses, and then, as you said, you're talking 28-man 28 28 man rosters for the FFPC. Uh, so without a doubt, there's obviously some tweaking we've got to do for each of those formats. Um, but majority of my conversation discussion is around that underdog. DraftKings, there's slight tweaks as well, but uh, the structure still stands. I haven't done actually any or many of the 28-person ones, but that'd be interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because I haven't been able to play underdog. Right. So it's and I don't play FanDuel. I play DraftKings DFS. Uh, I'm more of a PPR guy. Uh, so it, it, it's true. This strategy does seem to be a little better for the uh, half PPR um, strategy. So uh, FFPC, you you know, it's funny. You, you talked about it. That was my next two questions. Uh, the FFPC is mentioned has come out with a nice tournament. It's 18 rounds. How does tight end premium and the fact that you only need to start two wide receivers change your dynamic of how you would approach an 18-round draft? Interesting. Okay. Um, so FFPC, PPR style for those two wide receivers. What were two running back, two wide receiver, one or two flex? It's two flex okay. and tight end are 1.5. Okay. Um, the two wide receiver doesn't change much for me. Uh, because I still am probably going with a quality with with a quantity style. Uh, I don't think it's worth it from a draft wise to try to say I want to draft four awesome running backs and I want them to all count for me every week and such. Um, I'm still taking that kind of hyper fragile build uh, with tight end. Um, I think I would say I probably you're certainly not getting Kittle or Waller in the middle to late part of the second round like right. you might on on underdog they're, they're they're going you know waller is kind of past kittle he's going anywhere from nine to 14 and you know you might get kittle around two five two six but after that he's gone right I'm, I'm more okay with definitely taking one of those because again when you're playing for an upside stance the weekly upside that they can provide you as well as the season is unmatched by other tight ends uh the other thing i would say is i'm probably more inclined to only go to qb and to grab three tight ends if I don't get one of those elite uh, top three tight ends there. 
Um, and that's probably becomes my go-to format for that one. It would be the 2493, uh, where I still take my hyper-fragile build. I'm still getting my running backs, hopefully just you know only spending those four slots on it because it's PPR style, because I'm still looking for four and stuff. And you know that most volatile position, I'm still going to go with the depth and quantity for the wide receiver. Um, but yeah, the you know nice thing is with PPR and tight end premium for FFPC, those guys might end up in your flex spot more often than not too. So if you end up with three of those and you get three quality, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Yeah, I, I'm definitely on team three tight ends. Um, unless I've got a Kelsey, if I've got a Waller, you know, it, 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 again, at the point, you know, you've got to think, you know, people are like, well, it's, it's PPR, you know, so uh, a tight end premium. So tight, all tight ends are more valuable. Not really. <laughs> you know, that guy who gets three catches a week and he's touchdown dependent, he's not much more valuable on FFPC than he is anywhere else. Um, but you do kind of, you know, the, when Jack Doyle was playing well, for instance, a guy like that who might get you 60, 70 catches. Yeah. Finding someone like that later is good. Um, all right, let's talk about DraftKings. It's open and it's 20 rounds. So how much more likely are you to grab a third quarterback in a 20 round format? Yeah, um, I don't think the you know going three three there hurts you too much. Um, I think there. I only just did my first one today, uh, just because you know been talking about it and wanted to make sure that I had a bit more kind of familiarity for this year how things are going because I think it's you who were te- who was telling me uh, the QBs have been going so high over there. Um, and to be honest, it's crazy. And right, I don't get it because on DraftKings more than any other site, pretty much. QBs are less valuable. Why? Because first off, PPR. PPR makes wide receivers in other positions scoring more points and making them more valuable. And then throw in um, the aspect of, uh, you know, obviously from a bonus standpoint as well, uh, it really just kind of levels the playing field. Because if I'm trying to get my running QBs, well, those kind of lose some value because the other guys, your Kirk Cousins that are just slinging it and going to throw in some 300s, it just across the board levels the playing field for QB. Uh, so more than anything with DraftKings, I don't want to spend up on QB. I still want my rushing guys with upside, uh, but because I've got those extra two roster spots too, I'm okay if I just say, hey, I'm going to get uh, you know, maybe one or two guys with upside and then still provide a bit more of a uh, flyer with a late QB there. Um, yeah. And overall, you can with 20 slots, you can still go with a, what, 3-4-10-3 or a 3, you know, and I think that's 14, that's 20 spots right there. And I'm still getting my hyper fragile build. I think a lot of people are going to be going with a three five nine three format, um, where you get that hyper fragile, but maybe you you know grab a little later guy. I haven't been seeing as much of the hyper. Fra- I only did one. I haven't been hearing as much of the hyper fragile <laughs> builds over at DraftKings. It seems like most of that discussion is around an eighteen man roster with underdog. It'll be interesting to see whether or not that carries over. Yeah, I mean, I did a couple DK. And they're definitely a little um, looser, for sure. You seem to get a lot, you know, we, you talk about how you save in most of your bankroll for, you know, August when the, the it's not filled with guys like us following podcasts. DraftKings seems like it's like that already. You, you get a lot more like, how did I, you know, I got DeAndre Swift in the fourth round in one today. And I'm like, you know, how does that happen? You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I, I, I'm not too afraid of Jamal Williams. How about you? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, type A back, what the quote was, um, was not, not too scary for me. I think when they say type A, they're talking about more the kind of structure and the way he plays the game, not type A as in like he's our number one, like ha- geared to be a number one running back. Um, and I think that's just a coaching NFL diction thing um, that was kind of uh, – I don't want to even say miscommunicated because the coach said what the coach said, but it was misinterpreted or at least kind of carried out and thrown, you know, gone long ways there. Uh, but no, overall, DeAndre Swift is a phenomenal talent, especially in the catching game. If he can get anything uh, kind of a rapport going, um, yeah, Alvin Kamara light season as well in the playbook. That's that's that, that's the guy I compare him to. I, I feel and 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 Campbell came over from New Orleans, saw what Alvin Kamara could do. I know he's kind of a meathead, but and even Anthony Lynn, you know, I mean, he's he is not a great coach, but if you're an Austin Eckler fan, you know, he gave Eckler exactly the amount of usage he should have, right? So Swift, I think, is more of a talent than Eckler, and so I, I don't have any fear. Well, I won't say I don't have any, but there's not too much fear on my end that he's going to screw that up. Um his risk is baked in and and where he's being drafted the risk is baked in but again we're playing for upside and he without a doubt has ability to be an rb1 you know a top 10 top 12 running back as dumb as a stone as matt patricia was with running backs he once swift showed what he could do they ramped him up right you know mike tyson said everyone uh Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Every coach has a plan until they see what DeAndre Swift does with the ball in his hand. And ultimately, these coaches want to win games, and he's a rare talent in my book. Uh, Let's talk quickly about exposure, as we could probably spend a whole episode just on the subject of exposure. You're building 150 teams. Um, You know, you're drafting running backs in a certain round, um, you know, let's say first, second, third round. Um, I know I've got very specific ways that I look at exposure when I'm building my portfolio. I'd like to know what your thoughts are and how you build your portfolio. Yeah, overall, um, it's probably one of the least things that I pay attention to during a draft. Um, a lot of people are like, when they're trying to do a draft, they're thinking like, oh shoot, like I've drafted this player a bunch. Like I'm going to not take him this time. I don't want to be making those decisions in the draft. So in the draft, I'm deciding on two things. Really, really one thing. I'm deciding which position should I draft now. And based off that, I'm then almost always going to go who's the top in my positional unless there's a stack consideration. So from an actual exposure, it's not coming into play for me during a draft. Where exposure comes into play for me is in between drafts. So after the draft, when I'm doing an analysis and I'm looking, you know, probably every week or two, I'll probably go through and kind of do a refresh of my rankings and look at, at, you know, where am I getting a guy? And I'm spent, you know, if I got 25% of a, oh, last year was probably someone like Jamison Crowder. uh, I just ended up getting him and getting him everywhere. Um, And I asked myself, okay, why do I have so much Jamison Crowder? First, I need to figure out, okay, Am I willing to take a stand on this player? Is there something I am seeing about his about the player, about the QB connection, about the team, about the offense? Am I, am I seeing something that everyone else isn't? If I don't think I am, then I probably say, okay, let me, let me reel this back a little. Maybe I should decrease my exposure. 
other side of things is I say, okay, no, I actually really like Jamison Crowder. Um, I think everyone else is kind of a, you know, missing something, but maybe I'm drafting him too early because if I've got 25% of him, I'm getting a ton. Is it possible for me to maybe wait around and get him later and still have decent exposure to him, but be getting additional value? So I'll take my ranks and I'll try to kind of mock, mock it down. I'll say, okay, I'm going to drop him a little because, hey, I can still get that exposure. I can still draft my guy or whoever it is, but now I'm getting an additional round of value that I may otherwise wouldn't have gotten. And uh, so I'll just kind of continue this, make it a continual iterative process on an individual basis. And the last thing in my exposure I look at is stacks. I really don't care about QB exposure unless I have some kind of crazy outlier. But what I do care about are which stacks I have exposure to. Um, And just kind of thinking through like, you know, at the end of the day, I want to make sure that my structure is right. I want to make sure that I'm betting on the teams that I think are strong bets. And uh, that's where I'll kind of look to see like, okay, which QB, which wide receiver, which kind of stack exposure. Maybe I got a ton of this QB, but for whatever reason, like you were mentioning in our our pregame, you get a whole bunch of Lamar. Um, now Lamar is actually not a great one because you don't have to stack him, but let's say you have a player, you're getting a bunch of him, but you're not getting his primary stack partner. Maybe you should be asking yourself, why am I so high on this player, but I'm not able to reach or not willing to reach or willing to maybe go a slightly above ADP to get that wide receiver. And that's one of the mental exercises I'll do kind of in between drafts. Actually for Lamar with me, I've got him with Andrews a lot. Yeah, and, I agree. Uh, he, he, uh, Andrews, even in FFPC, was going you know late fourth round for most of the offseason. I, I I feel like you know the you know the Ravens were due to regress last year. I had almost no Ravens exposure last year because the ADP was too high. But I feel like the fact that they tanked, you know, human nature a lot of times is for things to go too far the other way. And I'm more than happy to take Mark Andrews at the end of the fourth. And then if I get a chance at Lamar in the sixth, I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's just a no-brainer. And then if, and then if Marquise or Bateman falls in my lap, fine. But um, I've been able to do that. So, um, you know, we were talking about, uh, for me, exposure is similar to what you talk about. But, you know, definitely you added another layer there. But what I do is it's very rare for me to like a guy enough to have 20, 25, 30% of them. Uh, there's always other guys in that range I like almost as much. And so the way I look at it is I will mix it up based on bye weeks, based on stacking, um, and also based on exposure a little bit uh, during the draft uh, because I – you know, the worst thing is to end up ha- liking two guys very similarly. They've got a 18, you know, you've got an 18 to 20 point difference over the course of a whole season in their projection. But if one guy gets hurt, you know, 18 is one point a week. Um, so I will mix within a tier, but I won't drop a tier for a strategy. It's basically been the way that I've done it. Um, you know, we talked oh, about that. makes st- sense. It has for me. I'm always open to improving it, but that's kind of how uh, my best two years in best ball, I didn't have more than 23% of anyone. And it wasn't because I, I I had the throttle down on anyone. It was, you know, a combination of guys that I was heavily on early in the season. I was either right or wrong about and their ADP changed or because I just mixed it up with other guys I liked 
and it just worked out that I didn't have 20 more than 23 percent of anyone um stacking's become the standard now in tournament best ball in regular best ball I've always used stacking as one of the tiebreakers as I just mentioned um with you know how far will you chase a stack uh during a draft yeah, so and we did some research on this that established the run as well. Uh, and Leone put out a good article that basically showed if across your stack you are giving up more than two rounds of value, it's worth less than the actual stack itself. So the value of stacking is not only diminished but eliminated if you're giving up two rounds to get there. Now, one note is that not all two rounds are not all rounds are created equal. So if Correct. you're giving up a third to a fifth, that's a hell of a lot more than if you're giving up that sixteenth to the eighteenth. Um, and so overall, I want to stack, I'm thinking with stack in mind, but I'm not going to be reaching to get it. And so two other dynamics here that I think are interesting. One to keep in mind is if you nail those two wide receivers early in a draft and you get them, let's say this year, CD Lamb and Amari Cooper is a good example because late in a late in the, um, draft, you can get them both. Uh, maybe you don't reach on Dak Prescott because who else is going to be reaching on Dak? You've already got. Amari and CD. No one else has a cowboy except maybe Zeke by the uh, except Zeke by this time. Um, so there's a better chance that you may actually get some strong value on Dak falling to you around, and that gives you a huge leg up against the field. Um, so that's something to kind of keep in mind. And with Joe Burrow, it's another good example because you've got two or three of his wide receivers going pretty, you know, uh, significantly above where he is. So if you've got all those guys, chances are it doesn't always work, but chances are no one's going to be reaching for that quarterback to not even create a stack. Uh, so that's one note. Uh, and then the other thing around stacking is you also don't need to have a quarterback to stack. So let's say you did wait on the, you know, the Joe Burrow and you're like, oh, I got Jamar Chase. I got Tyler Boyd. And then ugh, somebody grabbed Joe Burrow. I'm screwed. This team sucks. Let's burn it up. No, the truth is that team can still be really strong and you can still count it as a stack because this isn't just one week game where we need that QB and wide receiver to blow up. We're talking, we're making bets on a team across an entire season. So in this situation, you're making a bet that the Bengals are going to be a great passing offense. Maybe there's ways, there's correlation that actually that third wide receiver, um, uh, T. Higgins, actually ends up getting hurt. So it actually increases your Jamar Chase and it increases your Tyler Boyd. And you don't need to have that QB to still have positive correlation between those two players across an entire season. So... Uh, that's my biggest thing on stacking is that people kind of, uh, they get too scared and they draft and they really reach on their QB because they're like, oh, but I've got the stack. I have to grab him. But in reality, it's actually more valuable to wait and hope that he falls an extra round to you. And if he doesn't, it's not the end of the day. I, I agree completely. You know, for me, uh, you know, I'm willing to move up a little bit for a stack, but I'm not willing to. Uh, it's good that, you know, Mike put numbers to it. Uh, I never would go up two rounds. I might go up a round. Um, right. You know, early I'll go up five or six picks. The way I've always described it is if I've got a tier and I've got one guy in the top of the tier and, and the guy for the stack on the bottom of the tier, but I have them in the same tier, yeah, I'll, I'll reach for that stack, sure. You know, because I'm not, you know, the fact that I've got them in the same tier means that I see them pretty close. Uh, but I'm not going to drop a tier to go get a stack. It, it, you give up more than you gain. The other thing I just thought of while you were talking is what do you think about, maybe it's a little galaxy brain, but it, it, in the scenario where you don't get um, 
Joe Burrow, you know, what, what about adding a quarterback in division? Um, you know, for if, if value is neutral, um, you know, they play twice, you get two chances of a blow up week. Right. Not the worst. And especially if they play in the playoffs and uh, if they had one, and that's where I'd say like your thought process isn't, isn't wrong. Um, if all else is equal, sure. I've never nice thought it before just two seconds before. <laughs> But I think um, more so focus on that. Let's see if that week 17, week 16, because especially for gotcha. the underdog, week 16 is the most difficult one to advance um, because I believe you need to finish in the top two of the regular season, top two of the next week, top two of the next week, and then week 16, you need to finish first out of 18. Um, and then week 17, you have to be, I think, like 150 others to win that million. But that's where I would take your strategy and say, okay, so, you know, Bengals doesn't work because they're playing the Chiefs and that's Patrick Mahomes. But let's see what else we've got uh, the Bills and the Falcons. So maybe you grab Stefan Diggs and someone reached on Josh Allen. All right. Maybe you want to grab Matt Ryan because you think that game becomes the blowout. And uh, that's maybe where I'd kind of take your thought process and continue to expand upon it. All right. Good. Um, let's let's draft. All right. Um, I do got. Oh yeah. I got, I can ask you one or two more while we're uh, want to set it up. Yeah. Uh, but but I did have one other thing, but I I don't want to lose it. Oh, FFPC. Okay. Really interesting. Their format. First and second place regular season advance, and then the top three each of the next three weeks advance to the finals. Okay. Does that does that out of twelve? I, I, I love the fact that you've got three shots every week to advance. Uh, what What are your thoughts? Change anything? From, from a strategy-wise, I think I would just say it's that much more important to get as many dart throws through your initial league as possible. Um, because, you know, in that format, it's more about just let me just see how many I can get through. Because if you only need top three, you don't need those kind of 1% outcomes. You really only need top 25% each time. Uh, so that's where I would say, like, hey, stick with your process and all, but don't go crazy trying to get that crazy one contrarian guy in the 18th um, because your upside from a weekly basis isn't, isn't as important. It's more important. Just make sure you win your league. And then there's enough fluky stuff that you got to finish top 25% each week going forward. That's doable without having that kind of one absolute grand slam guy. All right. Um, I, I got to take that one step further. Does that make you any less likely to have a hyper-fragile build with only four running backs? I would do a hyper-fragile build in a 12-man normal league as well. The win rates and the data that we've seen are still strong. Um, end of the day, I'm trying to finish you know, in that top two, three. Uh, maybe because it's top – and you said it's top three every time? Every time. Maybe it makes sense to say like, okay, you go with a five or five running back uh, <laughs> with what I was saying, but like overall right, right. the structure still like, yeah. I, I think, all right, let me get to, uh, I thought I was logged in, but I, it looks like I didn't just give me a sec. Okay. I want to do it on my desktop so everyone can see it. Yeah, sounds good. You could just you let me know when to click it, and uh, I'll I'll jump in, and hopefully we get on the same one. 
right, I'm going to jump in first real quick and see how many are left. Okay. All right, go. All right, I am five more to start. We're in. All right, cool. All right, let's see. Let me put a tweet out and see if uh, we can get some people to join. Oh, I definitely put it in the Discord of ETR, so hopefully we get some ETR okay. people. You just um, did that? No, I did it uh, earlier. I didn't do it just now. Oh, okay. Um, what I'm going to do now is share my screen. Can you see it? I can. Yes, I can. All right, cool. Come on, guys. Just put out a tweet as well. Let's see. All right. So, um, I think we covered all my stacking questions. Let's talk about handcuffing. Um, something you talked about in your article that I definitely agreed with. Um, I, I will handcuff if I feel once in a while, if I feel that the guy has standalone value, but I'm guessing with four running backs, you're not doing any handcuffing. I won't handcuff in general. Um, there's all you're doing is playing for safety. And uh, so it doesn't like it, you can give me scenarios or give me a player and I'll try to figure out like if there's an exception, but in general, if you're drafting that top end running back and you're trying to save his backup as well, well, that backup is only performing if your running back is significantly lack of performing. Um, and in that situation, Oh, there we go. We uh, are starting now. Uh, but the general idea is if that elite running back fails, well, I'm not going to do well anyways. So uh, I'm not trying to just you know, protect myself and finish top six or anything. So don't play for just that. I think the only exception is if you think both players can outperform their ADP, and maybe there's an example with like a Trey Sermon and a Roheem Moster. Um, but even then, like it's still very difficult, and I'd rather just kind of make a bet on say one of those significantly outperforms and use that other spot for another player. Yeah, I, I what I, the, the way I always phrase it is people don't realize that your leverage on, let's say, in, in your article, you talked about George Kittle. You know, to me, your leverage on George Kittle is all the lineups that don't have George Kittle. Yep. yep, yep right? Yep. Like, if you end up with 15% George Kittle, that means if he gets hurt, you still, you, you're going to have an advantage in 85% of your drafts. Why do you need, why do you need to weaken the team that does have Kittle. Um, yeah. All right. So we're drafting right next to each other too. Yeah. We're seven and eight. So this will be interesting. So uh, let's see, we'll be stealing each other's guys. I'm sure throughout this draft. Well, especially since I'm showing my cue. <laughs> All right. I will, uh, I will, for the purpose of education and uh, fairness, I will make my I'm not going to put them in order. So you're not going to know fine. who my favorites are. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be making a decision off of yours because I want to no. make sure that every decision I make, I can kind of talk through why I'm doing it, and uh, you know, kind of yep. do that likewise. 
So starting off, we got, you know, pretty chalk, uh, Christian and Dalvin. I think Saquon number three is a little interesting with what we've been hearing from, uh, you know, from an injury perspective, from maybe, you know, slowing him down or something. Um, I've got, I've got one Barkley out of like 40 or 50 drafts so far. Okay. Yeah. I I just feel like even if he was healthy, the offensive line's not great. And and I don't like drafting first round picks coming off a major knee injury. So I'm between Zeke and Jonathan Taylor, and I actually prefer Zeke this year. Um, I do, I do too. I would have taken Zeke also. Yeah, I think um, uh, my my thing with Jonathan Taylor with is Dakar, the splits with Dak are pretty impressive. Right, I think that offense is going to be phenomenal, and I also think that Nahi Hines is not going to just disappear. So I think Jonathan Taylor is still not a game script independent player. Um, and if I'm drafting in that you know, early first round or you know, mid first round, uh, I want a running back that I know is not really leaving the field. And uh, you know, Dak, even if you're, I mean, even if you're not like a huge fan of Zeke and you want to go with the Pollard's a better player. Uh, the team feels otherwise, and the team is going to continue to use Zeke and in the passing game and in the goal line, and uh, yeah, I'm just bullish on that entire team as a whole. Yeah, I uh... um, one, two, three, four, five away. I've only got four players. That could be a problem. <laughs> Like in, if I'm seen on Twitter, we got Salvatore Conti is the spot that is right in front of me. So I believe that's Carcosa. I don't know if anyone from our chat is in this, but uh, there's a couple names that I recognize from this draft. And Najee Harris going. Oof. Two, two. I was just going to ask you your thoughts on him. I'm going to end up with zero of him if he's going to be going where he's going. Yeah, my concern is obviously, I mean, just from a risk standpoint, like he's being drafted at what his upside basically is in that offense. Um, and we're just not accounting for the risk um, of, hey, he's a rookie and he may not even be the full time. He may not even be the starter uh, at the beginning of the season. And then the other thing is we saw from last year, uh, oops, I am You're up right up, now. By the way, I am, and I. So this is the interesting situation. Or do I, I draft? Took, that I took Ceh. I don't know if that's who you would have taken. Uh, I'm going to grab Gibson. Um, so that this was, was the a, other guy I had. I was yeah, deciding yeah. between Gibson and Ceh. And so I'm fine with getting Gibson there. Uh, I think had Gibson and Ceh been gone, now it's an interesting question. Where like you kind of have to go wide receiver because we're looking right now and you got like Devonte Adams, you got Hopkins. Um, whether or not people still have AJ Brown there, it's still a question. Um, but uh, it's a bit of a, like, it's hard not to take that elite wide receiver here. Um, I think I probably would have gone Devonte and just making a bet that Rogers stays, but uh, it's uh, it's hard to make that kind of risky you know, level of risk with a second rounder. I, I have an unhealthy amount of Devontae Adams in the late second round at FFPC. Yeah. I, push comes to shove, I think Rodgers is going to – they're going to pay him more and he's going to stay. Yeah. I try to think of it from a risk risk profile of what is the likelihood that Rodgers does play. And uh, I have no reason to believe that it's anything different than maybe 50%. 
Uh, maybe that range is actually 25 to 75, but it's, it's somewhere around there. Oh, um, really? I think it's more like 80% he plays for the Packers. You think 80? Oof. Mm -hmm. I do. But if I'm not a, a better, and yeah. you're better with numbers than I am. I mean, but this is but this isn't a numbers thing. It's a personality. It's a human thing, right? Uh, it's uh, trying to read the communication that he puts out there. Um, and I think for me, it just comes down to I don't think it's a money situation. I think it's just kind of a uh, you know immovable. What is it? Uh, <laughs> a movable force. Blah blah blah. Um, yeah, yeah. Versus some. Yeah. Versus right. uh, the immovable force versus the uh, something object. Yeah. Um, and so in that situation, I guess, but my thought is if I think it's anywhere between 25, 75, I don't know. Well, now I'm taking a, the 50% risk that Rogers doesn't play. Devante should be like probably a fourth rounder. Uh, and if Rogers does play, well then Devante should probably be like a end of first beginning of second rounder. And so if I'm taking him late second, that risk upside profile just doesn't work for me. Um, but as you say, if it is 80%, now that looks a lot nicer and I'm far more likely to say, okay, let me take him in the late second because 80% uh, of the time he's actually supposed to be a end of first rounder. Yeah. I, I also like Michael Thomas this year. I think he's fallen a little bit too far. Um, I'm more no worried problem. about Kamara if Taysom Hill wins the job than I am uh, Michael Thomas. I 100% agree with you. Um, I yeah, we we've saw that even with Taysom Hill, Michael Thomas was still getting a ridiculous amount of the um, looks. Okay, here. So I got my two running backs. I do not like J.K. Dobbins. Uh, I don't think he has the upside because I think they don't want to go to just a one workhorse running back. His efficiency last year on touchdowns is hard to replicate. Um, I'm going to go with Keenan. Oh, do I go? Okay, I'm going to go with Cooper. I'm going with Cooper. I have the Zeke. Maybe I can get some form of a Dallas stack here. Uh, my other thought there was I was going to go Keenan Allen, and I love, I'm big on Justin Herbert, where he's getting drafted. So that'd be a decent stack. Um, I yeah. do like Dobbins, but I don't like him quite as much in half PPR. And uh, you may, and I've been drafting a lot of Keenan Allen this year. I think. I think he's a very solid pick. I also had Terry McLaurin I was considering, but I think uh, Keenan Allen is one of the few guys who has safety and upside. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, and yeah, so let me do a little more on Dobbins. So my, my issue with Dobbins is, it's really my issue with Chris Carson. It's my issue with teams where they just don't have a desire to have a workhorse one running back. And what I mean by that is a lot of players, you know, you're drafting and you're thinking like, okay, this player is going to either find their way into being the workhorse, you know, maybe you're drafting a later running back thinking if there's an injury, they're going to pick up the work for themselves. But those teams have shown us that there's just don't have a desire to have only run running back as a workhorse. And so in that situation, we're now drafting Dobbins at his higher end range of outcomes, saying that he's going to be as efficient as he was last year when he's not going to get the additional touches because they still really like Gus Edwards. They still are going to have that role for that second running back. And just like with Seattle and Chris Carson, they still found ways to give Carlos Hyde the ball. You don't just give Carlos Hyde the ball because he's going to, you know, because he's producing well, because he's a great athlete at this point in his career. You do it because you just don't want to give Chris Carson 25 touches a game. 
And so this year it'll be Rashad Penny. And, you know, there's maybe there's always going to be other guys in the wings, but I'm drafting for upside. And if my third round guy doesn't have RB, you know, top 10, top 12 upside, it's not someone I want to be devoting draft capital to. Yeah, I when he, you know, early in the FFPC, he was going mid second round. And all the reasons that you talked about were why I, I, I had zero shares. Right, literally zero shares. Um, I've been getting them three eight. To, you know, three. I feel like three five and beyond. I feel like he's got enough to pay off. My up. I'm up. All right, talk through. What are you thinking here? Um, I'm, I'm still. Uh, I'm still thinking that it's kind of odd that um, it's half PPR. Oh, man, I like tight end. I am going to go with Hawkinson. What's his ADP here? Uh-oh. No, I'm going to go with Godwin. Ah, oh, fuck. I got DJ Moore by accident. That's okay. Too much I had talking. DJ, that's okay. I had DJ Moore at the top of my queue, too. Um, I think for a lot of I like super. DJ, but he. I think he has a little less touchdown equity than Godwin, and I have him close. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um. So I actually am probably going to go with Josh Jacobs. Uh, a lot of people are down on him this year, but I think from a basketball as my third running back, I'm happy with him um, because that team in games that they are ahead, he's still going to be that workhorse. I don't see, you know, the new threat, um, I guess what Kenyon Drake in there. Uh, I don't see that as being a significant threat to his current role. Um, I think that just becomes a bit of an upgrade from a pass down back and kind of just increase from a backup. Uh, but I think you still are going to get some high opportunity games for when the Raiders are in the game, when they actually want to just continue to run it with Jacobs. Um, this is his third year in the league. Like they're going to use him as a workhorse. It's not going to be every game, but for my third running back, I'm happy with that. And if I didn't go him, then I'm going wide receiver. And again, that's just not the way that I want my structure to kind of work. No, I, I, I agree with you on Jacobs. I think uh, I definitely don't mind him in the fourth, fifth round where I where I see him. Um, uh, Julio went 310, and I feel like I feel like it's funny that people we're down on Julio before the trade. He's old. He's 32. And now, now that he's been traded to a, a, a team that historically runs the ball a lot, all of a sudden he's going to fly up draft boards. Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Here, here's how I see it. Um, once we knew he wasn't going to be in Atlanta, his draft ADP and his kind of just value decreased substantially. Uh, once we found out today, or when it was yesterday, today that I, today that he's going to go to Tennessee, that's probably one of the best landing spots that it could have been for him. Now, is it better than Atlanta? In my mind, no, definitely not. Still, definitely less than Atlanta. But when you compare all the other outcomes it could have been, I really like from an efficiency stance, from the targets that are available. I think Tennessee is a really good landing spot for him, and I love it from an actual real life Tennessee football perspective. Okay. Okay. Here I am. Um, so in this situation, I've got that Zeke, I've got that Cooper, but I don't want to reach for Dak, especially when Kyler and Lamar from an ADP are above them. 
So that leaves me, where do I want to go with here? Mark Andrews isn't a bad one. Um, oh, I got to decide between Thielen. I'm going to go Thielen. I'm going Thielen. I'm going Thielen. Okay. Thielen and Mark Andrews is kind of my back and forth there. Um, but I think Thielen. I don't have much. I have way more Andrews than I do Hawkinson. Um, so I was thinking Hawkinson. But since I'm drafting with the best ball guru, <laughs> I will take the guy that I like more this year, and that's Mark Andrews. Yeah. And when I'm drafting in that spot, too and I see Lamar is still on the board, I'm grabbing Andrews in hopes that I may be able to get that Lamar on the comeback uh, in what you're drafting again in about five picks, six picks, um, where if I draft Hawkinson, I don't love Matthew Stafford uh, just from the lack of a you know um, running perspective. So I'd rather kind of, you know, it, it limits my stack potential. It's not showing me my, uh... <laughs> oh, there's the draft board. All right. All right, there goes Lamar. So you lost that directly after. Yeah, I didn't expect Lamar to make it back. Nope, nope, nope. Okay, there goes Kyler. I don't hate my team. Let me take a look at yours. What are we looking at so far? So we got that first two round picks, JT, CEH. You know, nothing wrong with those. I like that as a combo. Um, then we got, we're, we're very well balanced, I would say, right now. Um, you know, Keen Allen and DJ Moore as the top two wide receivers. If I was you, and obviously we'll see how the draft comes to you, uh, but there's a level of, okay, those are pretty strong wide receivers. Do I just wait a bit? Um, now is where maybe I'd want to get like take a look at those running backs because we're about to have a tier drop off after Chase Edmonds, Javante Williams, and maybe Trey Sermon. Yeah, I, I've also got James Robinson in that group. Um, but okay. there's a guy that I, I'm really high on that uh, I'm one pick away and I'm hoping he makes it. Okay, let's see. He Hawkinson made it. just went. Okay. So I am taking Javante. And that's a great third QB there. And in my situation, I mean, that's a great third running back there. Um, He has that upside situation, but you also don't need him to immediately produce for you um, if he's a little slower to kind of get the wheels going as you got that Jonathan Taylor. Yep, agreed. And And so my situation. He's he's the, yeah, uh, I, I I feel like Melvin Gordon is not dust, but he's getting there. Right. And for a tournament style, it's even more valuable to have that Javante because, you know, yes, you need to do well and finish in the top two for your league, uh, but it's also more important to do well in the playoffs, and that's where Javante Williams would probably, you know, similar to what we saw with Jonathan Taylor last year. A little slower start, but once it started going, really, you know, excelled in those last playoff weeks for us. Yeah. And so for my team, as we said there, so I ended up getting Dak to fall to me. Um, and so I was pick six. That's six. crazy. And that's if we crazy. think so, that's six, not crazy. Six. But I yeah, mean, the is, fact that we're all sitting here, that we're sitting here talking about it, and there's a few people probably in the draft listening, mm-hmm. I, I would have thought someone would have sniped you. It's possible. 
And uh, so his ADP is 58. I got him with pick 66. And uh, C.D. Lamb did go. Uh, let's see who grabbed C.D. Lamb because that was the one guy that I was scared was going to snipe him. Ah, it's hard to tell because it's hard. Let's go with the board. So C.D. Lamb went to FBG Val, who was in the 11 spot. But instead of going for the stack, he grabbed Kyler. Um, so thought that was a little interesting. Um, but no complaints there. I, I had a tremendous amount of Kyler Murray the last two years, but I feel he's going a little too early this year for my tastes. I agree. He is I would not much rather have Lamar a round, round and a half later, or Hurts three rounds later. Yep. I agree. I agree. Trying to look to see uh, whether we have, it looks like there actually aren't. We got a lot of people with three running backs right now. So I'm curious to see how many of those will kind of go with that hyper fragile build. We've got uh Yeah, let's let's do like when we're done, just a, a quick uh, look at that. Or as we're finishing up, let's, let's go through yeah. and see how many actually do that. I so, think it would be interesting to track exactly how, you know, how many are, are actually doing that. All right, you're up next. Okay. And you're not going to take the guy that I want. I will not be grabbing Justin Herbert. No. Um, do you end up getting Keenan Allen? I did. Nice. Okay, so that's a solid stack, and that's what I was thinking. If I would have got the Keenan, plans would be grab the Herbert. Um, I don't need the running back. I do like Trey Sermon, um, but with my three running backs, I'm more willing to wait on some value. I got Chase Claypool kind of a tier above the rest of the wide receivers at this spot. That, that's who um, I would have taken had he had, had I not been planning on taking Herbert for the stack. So that's what I mean by uh, let's say you had passed on Claypool. I have Claypool ahead of Herbert, but – that's you know it's so close. That's when I would stack and yeah. not worry about the the what you know the Claypool I had ahead of him. Agreed. Definitely got to take Herbert there um, because it gives you the Keenan Allen. Another thing is like when I passed on Dak, you had Kyler and Lamar ahead of uh, when yeah when I passed on Dak, you had Kyler and Lamar with higher better ADPs still to go. In this one, you only had Herbert. And then really after Hertz, there's that big tier drop off. So it was yep. almost a guarantee he would have gotten taken before he fell back to you. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Yeah, well, it, I mean, I just used it as an example, but the, it, it, there was no doubt I was taking Herbert there. Right. Well, and yeah, he's ADP is 70.6 and you got him with pick 80. So that's already fantastic full round value right there. Yeah, QBs are going a little later in this one. That's true. That's true. And we'll see how long that kind of lasts. Because <laughs> where we stand, or at least where I stand, having Dak as my QB, I'm going to be grabbing a value QB in the mid to late rounds. Uh, I don't want to completely just throw that second one, uh, but I'm definitely not spending additional capital, and I'm definitely not going with three QBs in this. Um I'm definitely going to go for running backs. And so like, this is where I'm starting to think like, okay, how does this team come together for me? And uh, my biggest question mark right now 
is going to be. I'll let you draft it here. Uh, yeah, I lost Juju. I got sniped. To me, he was a tier above anyone else I was looking at. Uh, running back, I don't really have anyone here. I'm, I'm going to do a guy that I've been drafting a lot of. Uh, I'm going to take Antonio Brown a little early. Okay. Um, I, I feel like he was the 23rd running uh, wide receiver in PPR last year, uh, walking off the street. And I don't think he's the same player that he was, but I think he's going to pay off value. Um, I think he's going to pay off value. Brandon Cooks was the other uh, wide receiver I was looking at, but I, I you know, who's yeah. going to quarterback that team? Cooks has concussion um, issues. I, I'm, I just, it was a luxury pick. Let's call it a luxury yeah. pick. So I agree Juju would have been a tier above. I think then I probably would have, with your team, grabbed that second tight end. And uh, you have Andrews, so pairing him with a Goddard or a Higby. You know what? That's, that, 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 that. The only thing is that I found that there's a couple tight ends that are going so late here compared to Fanball or um, or um, FFPC that I've been waiting on my second tight end because I've been getting ones that I really like like three or four rounds later. Yeah, yeah maybe. And yeah, uh, for me, unless I have one of those top three, I kind of want to get two tight ends before that top 180p expires. Uh, after that, I kind of feel that I've got a bit too much of risk and then start looking at three tight ends. And with the three tight ends, as you said, I'm then looking at those guys that you and I have talked about previously who um, you know, feel like there's some late value there. Yeah, so where are you on Jarvis? Because I see we got him. Uh, you know, I've I've actually got Jarvis at the top of my wide receiver board right now. I mean, um, I never want to draft him, but he always makes me wish that I had. Yeah. So I've got no issues with him. Yeah. No, I'm a I'm a, I'm a Jarvis fan. Um, his production has just been so consistent, and I think Baker, um, you know, just continues to kind of improve. All right, so we just saw Higby go. I was big. Yeah, I would have taken Higby. Higby. I would have taken Higby. Yeah, no, I could see that. All right, so we have that. St- okay, so you grabbed. No, okay, yeah, I would have grabbed Higby before you actually. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I'm gonna grab Logan Thomas here as my second because, as I was saying there, like after Logan Thomas and Higby, there's that big drop off in tight end, um, and now I can be pretty secure in saying if I look at my team. I've got Goddard and Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas. I'm done with tight end. I've got Dak, so I'll get another QB. I'm done with QB. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that, but a quarterback instead. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna add Tannehill, who I don't think you know. I think he's gonna start going a couple rounds earlier, and I feel like now with the weapons that he has, he's a very solid second quarterback. Yep. Nope. I agree with that. I like Tannehill. Um, and and uh, and again, the different. You know, I'm not afraid to take a third tight end. Um, not saying I will, but let's see if the guy that I always in, like taking falls. Right. 
And as you're saying, like if you get that guy, um, we got a couple, a couple people in the chat, so uh, that are paying attention. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blow your spot, but I know who we're talking about. If you get him, oh, um, Sonic, I didn't know Sonic was in. I'm watching the draft board. Hey, Sonic, no problem. <laughs> um, and looks like yeah, out looks like Elmer helmets. Yeah, yeah, that's Sonic. Uh, that's Sonic. That, okay. That, yeah, he's uh, he he's a fellow one week season. Uh, okay, cool. I, I do work with one week season during the season, and he he's another guy. Okay, so you're going to be ahead of me. What are you thinking right here? You've got your QB. I'm, I'm QB. going through and doing my Q. All right, so. Oh, man. Let's see. All right, so I'm going to take AJ Dillon. Okay. I think he. I think he has standalone value, uh, especially here. And I also let's let me just look at my bye weeks. I also feel like he, you know, he's one of those guys that if. Uh, if the number one goes down, I mean, he could be a monster. Yep. No, I agree with that. And I think this was a good time to draft running back. I feel like there's a strong tier here. Um, and so personally, I had Dylan as my second running back best available, but definitely very close. Uh, the guy that I really like is Rojo. Um, and from what we've seen, I think we're a little biased because of what Leonard Fournette was able to do in the playoffs uh, after Rojo got a little injured. But throughout the season, Rojo had some phenomenal games, and it seemed like they want him to really be their primary guy. I mean, at one point, they literally had a healthy Leonard Fournette benched. Um, and the only reason he kind of found his way back in is because of that injury. So Rojo in the 10th round is someone who I am always eyeing. And that gives me my fourth running back, which I am now down with, done with running back, done with tight end. I'm probably grabbing one quarterback and all wide receivers the rest of the day. Interesting. I also have three wide receivers that all have by week seven. So uh, that's interesting. <laughs> I, season long, I don't care about by weeks, but. Uh... Best ball, I don't, I, I really don't care either other than my quarterbacks. Um, if I grab two quarterbacks, I don't want them to have the same bye week because missing out on 25 plus points is it, it hurts. Uh, tight end, I'm okay with having two tight ends with the same bye week. Um, with my other positions, like wide receiver doesn't matter to me because I'm going to have so much depth that I'm going to be able to cover that position. If I'm only grafting four running backs, I'm okay with two having the same bye week. Probably you know, don't want more than that. Yeah, I uh, I still have some time to get the tight end that I normally like taking late. Um, let me look at uh, some wide receivers that I like. What team is Sonic? What's his name on here? Maybe we can I, do a little. I, I, I think he drafted right before me coming back. So hold on. He may be. He might be New Hampshire Payne. Yeah, he grabbed. He grabbed Juju and H Payne. Yep. Right, so he, looking he, he's, at his, he, he's a very smart guy. 
looking at his team, um, let's see. So he definitely started out with a bit of a hyper fragile. He's got Cam Akers, Aaron Jones. I like those first two picks. I like Trey Sermon getting some strong value on him with pick 81. So overall, uh, strong start. I hope he only I hope he grabs a running back soon and just kind of sticks with those four. He set himself up with Lamar early on, so only going to have likely two QBs there. Um, Hawkinson with no second tight end. We might see uh, him going with three. Um, but overall, I like what he's doing with the team. Um, we'll see how yeah. that kind of keeps playing out. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're done with tight end. Yep, I am not grabbing a tight end. Um, do, do, do. This is my last QB in a tier. I have Dak. I don't have a wide Let receiver. Let me see if I, I love, can so. guess. Hold on. Oh, Cousins. No, Cousins like doesn't Cousins. have the upside that I want. You, do you like Wentz? Um, I think Wentz has substantial uh, risk in his floor that other QBs don't have. Um, and Wentz is probably going to go about a round, maybe two rounds later than a Justin Fields. And uh, I think, honestly, both of them have similar risk profiles, but the upside oh, up. Oh, fuck. I didn't see that you took. Oh, man, that wasn't the guy I wanted. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's No, it's my fault. I just all fucked again. Let's. Uh, well, I'll get I'll get a good tight end, but uh, most likely. But that was. <laughs> all right. So no more running backs for you. You've got a solid running back core. Yeah, um, and I and I let you know, and and I don't. I was going to probably go with a fifth running back simply because um, I think Javante and Dylan both have some risk. Yep. No, I agree with that. Yeah. And I, I like Latavius Murray this year. Um, as long as they don't cut him and there is risk of that because of their cap situation, but overall I think he's in a good spot. Yeah. I think that he's, uh, I think that he, uh, he's going it, it, again. I don't know the ADP here like you do, but on FFPC, he's going like 25, 30 picks later than he did last year and he gave you a 10.5 percent win percentage last year uh and that's where i do think that um win percentage is um is a is a good thing um you know where it can show you opportunity if he paid off you know 30 picks earlier i think he can pay off where he's at uh 30 picks later all right uh, the guy I was going to take last time made it back to me. I'll complete the Tannehill Ferkser. I think that with Julio there, people are going to get a little cold on Ferkser, but I've always liked him back to when uh, first time I heard about him was when your one of your bosses, Evan Silva, um, uh, sent out a blurb about him a couple years ago. I like that. I am going to draft my fourth wide receiver that has by week seven and just keep that theme going of only wide receivers with bye week seven. You're not worried about Beasley um, with uh, Sanders there. Now it's a, you know, for a four man show. Nope. Nope. Not, I, that uh, I'm, not that I'm worried about Sanders. Well, but they don't have John Brown. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're right. You're right. But so Brown was hurt up. most of the year. That's fair. Right. And uh, yeah. So, uh, 
I think Beasley is just a fen- I know, still has a very strong rapport, phenomenal rapport with Josh Allen. Um, you know, he was still seeing games where he was putting up nine, 10 catches. I love the offense in general. And so just getting some kind of pieces up that Josh Allen offense are, is very attractive to me. Um, and I think Cole Beasley just year over year is underrated. Yeah, he's one of he's he, he him and uh, Jarvis Landry are guys that I just never draft. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and it's interesting because people think best ball. Okay, I don't want the underneath guy. I don't want that slot guy. I want the guys that are going to have the big plays. Um, and that's fair and all. But the thing is, you get a guy like Cole Beasley, and he's getting these games with eight to ten targets. Uh, sometimes even that many, you know, higher higher catch probability. And so you throw that in with the yards, and he breaks one, or he gets a touchdown, like. That's a huge game, and uh, I'd rather have the player who has more opportunities to kind of break it, um, the one that's on the field, uh, than just going for that one kind of, uh, you know, home run guy. Yeah, a lot of times the home run guy, you know, I I really don't want a guy who's going to go two for 60 in the touchdown because, you know, it's an okay week. But... You know, I you know if I'm going to go for that home run guy, I, I I want at least some volume as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, and there's also a difference in drafting what I'm doing in the 13th and 18th. In the 18th, give me Cage or Hamler. Give me the guy who's only going to have that two for 60 with the touchdown. But as my 18th round, I'm okay with it. Uh, in the 13th, I want a little more. Makes sense. Okay, so we're coming back around. So yeah, right now, I mean, my draft board is just all wide receivers because my structure right now is two QB, four running back, two tight end, and I'm happy with those two tight ends being Goddard and Logan Thomas. I'm happy with my two QBs being Dak and Justin Fields. I'm happy. Would with you my be happy with backs. Andrews and Ferguson? Probably not. Uh, I'd be, it's in the fence. I, if, if I ended up with just those two, it's not the worst thing. But I'm also willing in that situation to grab a third tight end. Yeah. And I believe your tight end that you still like is on the board. He is. So I will not draft him here. As I said, I'm just going down the list with my wide receivers. Yeah, this isn't going to be the best build for me, but um, I do like Hunter Henry here a lot. Yeah. And let's I, see. I don't go. I don't go. I don't get why he's going that late. And half PPR, I, I think he can give you the 50, 60 touchdown, 50, 60 catches that you're going to get out of a lot of these wide receivers now. Yep. Uh, and hey, if he can go for 50, 60 touchdowns, he'll win you a couple of leagues. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, your structure, it's not horrible, though, because now you're in a situation where if you just – you spin up on your Keenan Allen, DJ Moore, and so you devote a draft capital at the top of the draft with wide receiver, and now you haven't really drafted any besides that Antonio, and now you probably are going to go five more and take eight. It's not my favorite structure, and obviously one of those was just an accident with the Latavius Murray, um, but I think, like, you still have the possibility of building a fairly strong team. Yeah, well – I mean, I would have taken Ferkser, you know, to complete the stack. So I, I don't mind Latavius. And I don't mind a more traditional build. I, I, I get the whole uh, fragility thing. 
Um, and I'm sure that I'm going to do it more often than I have been, but I don't feel tied to it. Right. No, completely. Right. We should not be tied to anything. We got to take each draft as they come to us. You can have your, but it goes back to the getting punched in the face. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Wide receiver. We still got about one more round of wide receiver, maybe two before it really starts dropping. And uh, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people really are talking about in best ball is with these hyper fragile builds and people drafting a ton of wide receivers, the end of the draft with wide receiver is very light. And it makes sense because previously you saw on average, people were drafting like seven and a half wide receivers. So seven and a half times 12 puts you at about like what? 90. Let's do some math real quick. Seven and a half times 12. Oh, 90. Exactly. Okay, cool. So um, I took I took Paris, um, and that compl- you talk a, a lot about mini stacks. Um, I've now got Paris with Jonathan Taylor. Cool. Yep, I like it. And I think Paris Campbell is one of those guys that uh, I think they're going to spread the ball around, but Paris Campbell, when healthy, unfortunately hasn't been, but like has looked really good on the field. Yep, he certainly has. He, he fits the profile of uh, – and Traquan was next on my board. So that's where, if it wasn't for the that, that mini stack, I might have gone Traquan. Yep, that makes sense. Because again, he's under the radar because he's, uh, you know, people just don't, you, you know, he's going to be on the field. Right. And do you have any, do you have any interest in Emmanuel Sanders? Yeah, no, I do. I have him as my, well, okay. On my team right now, I will not be drafting him because of that by week seven. Um, But in my rankings, I have him as the second best wide receiver available. Yeah, so Carcosa here made an interesting decision. Um, Carcosa is the one that I said was mentioning on Twitter. I'm curious to hear his rationale because what he just did is it looked like he had a hyper-fragile build going with Alvin Kamara, Chris Carson, and Chase Edmonds. But then his fourth running back is Rashad Penny. And uh, in that situation, I really feel like you only have three running backs because you're not going to have games where you can bring both Chris Carson and Rashad Penny to the table. And uh, for Rashad Penny to really, you know, I don't know, be a strong value... Um, I don't know, like you, for Chris you need Carson, Carson yeah. not to be that good. Kind of, yeah. Or maybe Penny, I think more likely scenario is like Penny outperforms his ADP by a little, but Chris Carson then either underperforms or just doesn't smash. I like Penny as a late running back this year. I, I mean, he's got more of a defined role than a lot of people going ahead of him. Yeah, nope, that's fair. And uh, like, On a run first. Right. And if Carson goes down... Penny can find himself into the Carson role. Now, I don't think that Penny would ever become like a top 10 running back um, with our, you know, workhorse style, because I think they'd have someone else play that other complimentary role. Cause that's what we as we were talking about. Absolutely. CL. They would. Um, but like, he's still, Hey, if you're drafting someone in the 15th round and he has the potential to perform like a fourth, fifth with an injury, that's still product. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he, he's going definitely a round or two later than I would consider him like you know if i took him a round or two earlier i wouldn't feel bad about it right yep yep and yeah the, and once we're starting to get this late in the draft it's really about finding finding your guys and finding your stacks finding the ones that you know, 
play into the lineup and the team you're building. Yeah, well, I, I know who I'm going to take with my 18th rounder. <laughs> um, I'm not actually sure who you're talking about. Uh, I do like with you know, um, with Herbert, there's a couple guys that it could be. Um, yes, yes, yeah. there could. But there's like two that I would – there's really three, um, but there's two that I kind of consider. I like guys who flash. <laughs> yeah, you know, but, uh, I like but, guys who flash when they get a chance. Okay. I I have a choice here. I don't love any wide receiver here, so I'm interested to see who you're going to take. I'm going to grab John Brown. I think I am going to take the guy that you like last year. And that's who I was between. Um, my thought process on going John Brown above Jamison Crowd in this situation is that I have Elijah Moore on the team. And normally I don't dislike having two wide receivers from the same team. Uh, but I do believe that Elijah Moore and Jamison Crowder, Elijah Moore eats if Jamison Crowder doesn't just from that, that individual situation. And I think there's a chance that Jamison Crowder might end up elsewhere, which it wouldn't matter. But yeah. No, I, I agree completely. And you know, uh, the thing with Crowder is if they do release him, he's going to end up somewhere. Right. I agree. And yeah, there's a lot of decent situations. Like part of my process early on was not process, but just thoughts. Uh, if Crowder could end up in that Tennessee role, oh, I think it would have been fantastic for the offense. You have Crowder underneath. You have A.J. Brown opening the field. Uh, you've got the eight-man stack boxes for Henry. I think that would have been a fantastic addition to their team. I agree. You know, you, you, they spend a lot of money for Corey Davis, and then you get uh, Crowder for free. Yeah, exactly. Right. Crowder is not actually as old as people think. You think Josh Reynolds is dead now? Um, he's going to get drafted in every draft above where he probably should be, I would say. Um, yeah, Crowder's only 27 years old. It feels like so much older. Um, yeah, I mean, like when, you got to just think about like what has changed from the Reynolds situation. Like where he was getting drafted, if you assume that was the right place, well, that was when he was the number two wide receiver and a ton of targets were open. He's now fallen out of that number two. We're not even, he's still new to the team. We're not even sure what role he's going to play on the team. They may just have someone else from a more slot or use that kind of tight end for or style. Um, it's just too much of a, like the upside is significantly capped and the risk is that he's not even on the field. I agree. I took MVS, um, you know, and this is where we probably diverge because of 80% versus 50%. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't mind it though. Um, I'm gonna go with Deion Brown. I mean, he he has some pretty big games. Yep, without a doubt, with Rogers, definitely has those games. Um, yep. And one one thing I've been doing is when I grab Devonte, like in that late second, I'm then more likely. I usually don't grab Rogers because he's just not a player that I really want at the ADP. Um, but instead, what I'll do is I'll grab a Lazard or an MVS late in the draft. And it's kind of a making a correlation bet. And I'm saying that, well, I'm grabbing Devante late in the second. So I'm pretty much making a bet that Rogers plays. If Rogers does play MVS, Lazard, those guys are all going way too late. 
So it's basically saying if this team is live and Rogers plays, I'm now getting not only value in Devonte, I'm getting those late wide receiver value as well. And it just kind of supercharges it. Yep. Yeah. Des Fitzpatrick too. That was one that, um, you know, people were liking as a flyer, uh, but can't, can't expect anything from Des Fitzpatrick this year either. No. And, you know, I find when it gets this late, I just like certain people more than other people. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, I mean, this is where it's more pick your guys. And uh, you were talking about, um, you know, exposure. This is where there's an opportunity as well as a risk to be very overweight on one player. And I think last year was an example where if you had your guy that you liked uh, and, you know, you grabbed 30% of a guy in the 16th, 17th round, you might have – been missing out on T Higgins. You might have been missing out on Justin Jefferson. I guess Jefferson went a little earlier. Um, Chase Claypool. Uh, guys that could you have predicted and foreseen it? Maybe. Or is it better to just say, hey, I'm grabbing a lot of exposure, especially with stacks. So like last year when I was grabbing Roethlisberger, I grabbed a bunch of that Claypool. When I grabbed Burrow, I was grabbing Higgins, not because I had any inside information or even perspective that these players were going to break out, but just hey, if these guys do, I want to make sure it's part of my stack. Well, and it's it's working back from that whole thought process of whoever you're drafting, you're counting on them having a big season, right? So in, in your Joe Burrow lineup, well, T. Higgins was a guy who could definitely make Joe Burrow go. So I, I do think you have to think about it that way, um, you know, yeah, completely. Based on, yeah. Okay, there went my KJ Hamler. I was excited to grab him. Dallas doesn't really have any late stack guys um, at wide receiver, at least. I think that Cedric Wilson thing was quite fluky. I'll grab Anthony Miller here for the Justin Fields stack. Is he still there? In Chicago? Yeah, I thought yep. he got cut. Um, Google that. I had not heard that. I'm going to go with Tim Patrick. Mm, I don't know. I could do. Yeah. Anthony Miller's still I there. Do, I could do. I could do something real nasty here. Uh, I'm going to take Joe and Guyton. And so Guyton was definitely one of the guys that I was thinking of with regards to LAC. Uh, also have the rookie. Um, what's his name? Um, oh, yeah, Josh Palmer was already drafted. Um, but it feels like Josh Palmer and Jalen Guyton have a similar profile from what I believe I've read and remember. Um, and so from a stack player there. What do we want to do? So my temptation here is to grab a Dalton Schultz to complete a stack, and it would be an 18th round. But that gives me a third tight end when I already like my tight ends. This is where it's difficult to think, like, is it better to go with that wide receiver flyer right. or 
say, hey, Goddard and Logan Thomas isn't the greatest of tight ends. Do I grab one more to kind of seal that? I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. So I'm going to complete the back end stack. I like Tyron Johnson. I, he's the guy. I uh, Guyton goes ahead of him. But to me, it was Tyron Johnson who flashed. Yeah, I wonder if Tyron Johnson, like he flashed when Keenan Allen wasn't playing, right? Or when Mike Williams wasn't playing one of the two. Right, but you, you've also lost Hunter Henry there. Um, I know Jared Cook is there, but I, I've stacked those two guys late before the draft. And, uh, you know, if there was someone else I really liked, I probably would have taken it. But basically what I'm trying to do here is is hope that one of those two guys gives you a 12th, 13th round value and it costs me a 17th and an 18th. But maybe, you know, I, 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 don't th- I don't get the impression you like that idea. Um, no, I don't, I don't mind it because I think you could also flick uh, – they're they're both stacks. I like them from a player wise. Um, I think it's just a difficult situation to figure out who it is between those and Josh Palmer. But like from seventeenth, eighteenth round value, it's not bad. Um, I think you could also tell yourself a story that if Mike Williams got hurt, it then becomes the perfect scenario where Keenan Allen's value increases, one of these other two guys' value increases, and you've obviously got the Herbert. So like it kind of just comes into a a perfect scenario there. Well, and that's when, um, you know, when I was doing it was, you know, when I was doing a lot of it was February, March before they, you know, they let Hunter Henry go and they re-signed Mike Williams. You know, I, I was, I was betting that Mike Williams would leave and one of those two guys would fall into a pretty good scenario. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. It was a pretty long podcast, um, but I had so many questions and I wanted to pick your brain and I feel like I'm smarter than I was before. You can find Justin at Justin Herzig on Twitter and you can also find his work at Establish the Run. I am a member of Establish the Run and I think you should be as well. I also want to thank our friends at the FFPC uh, next Friday is the Hardway Draft. Um, it's the third year of that, a football guy's $350 tournament. Myself, um, about half the field is high-stakes players, and the other half is mid-tier analysts like myself. Um, and we're going to have five, six guys on the pod. Justin, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it a lot. Cheers. This was a lot of fun. Uh Thanks for having me. Uh, Great talking with everyone here. And uh, if you do ever have any questions, feel free to reach out. I'm on Twitter, Bonge, and happy to answer those or in the ETR Discord. Um, And overall, it was fun. So I look forward to seeing you in some more of these drafts. Oh, I I think that's pretty – I I am going to be pretty FFPC heavy because that's what I've been playing. And I feel like I have more of an edge uh, with – you know, but uh, I I, I now have a a few more tools in the toolbox. All right, folks, that's going to do it.